0: The Advanced Tech Podcast, providing a spotlight for innovators and disruptors. For links and show notes, and to find out how to sponsor the Advanced Tech Podcast, go to advancedtechmedia.org. You can also find and sponsor us on Patreon. If you're listening to us on iTunes, Google Play, or Android, please take a moment to subscribe and give us a rating. You can also sponsor us using Bitcoin at advancedtechmedia.org slash sponsor. Welcome to the Advanced Tech Podcast recorded live in Zurich with Phil Detweiler, Head of Custody Storage and Transaction Banking at Seba Bank. Welcome Phil.
1: Thank you very much for having me Alexandra.
0: So before we get started, I just wanted to have a quick disclaimer. So this is one of the few podcasts where typically we talk more about technology, but because we do touch on investing and banking solutions, I wanted to have a quick disclaimer uh, that this is for informational purposes only and is not financial advice. Statements in this episode are not intended to provide, offer, sell, or promote financial or investment services or advice. So with that said, for those who don't know you, please tell our audience a little bit about your background.
1: I'm Phil Detweiler, I'm responsible for custody storage and transaction banking at Seba Bank Ltd. in Switzerland. I've been in the financial sector since almost 20 years in different capacities, covering almost the entire banking front to back value chain across Europe and APAC. During that journey, I could sense early that the distributed ledger technology will bring very profound changes to the financial sector, and therefore gradually started dive deeper and deeper into the matter. On a more personal note, I love to practice sports, particularly kitesurfing and mountain biking. So I really love to swap my tie for a harness or a helmet.
0: So let's get right into SEBA. When and why was SEBA founded?
1: We at Cebo, we could sense there was a really big need for a regulated bank in the market. So that's why our co-founders started gathering back in 2017 and Sebo was founded in April 2018. The banking license was granted then end of um, August and we are fully operatable since October this year.
0: Very cool. So, could you tell our listeners a little bit more about SEBA, specifically what offerings you have and how you're looking to contribute to this new space?
1: Sure, with pleasure. SEBA Bank is a pioneer in the banking industry and progressive technological bridge between the traditional and crypto worlds. SEBA is one of the two first Finma licensed banks to offer a comprehensive range of crypto and digital assets banking services to institutional corporate, professional, individual clients. It's now for the first time that clients can have now all assets, and traditional as well as digital assets in one place. So to say that you have a holistic wealth approach. We have different business lines we're offering at Seba, one being trading and liquidity management. There, a key distinguishing factor is that we're acting as a principal and not as an agent. This comes with big advantages to the client because the client is facing SEBA and not another counterparty. We at SEBA, we are onboarded with different exchanges and OTC traders. So we do have a very good liquidity and the client can benefit from that liquidity with a smaller spread. As another business line, we do have asset and wealth management. There we're offering various products be it certificates, be it tokens, discretionary mandates, but also research. We also offer asset tokenization, everyone is aware of that one. And also very interesting is our business line lending. Me personally, I'm responsible for two out of six business lines, which is custody storage and transaction banking.
0: So you mentioned you're one of the two financial institutions who've been recently granted a banking license. What advantages does this give you in the market?
1: When we look back into 2016 and 2017, where there was admittedly quite a um, crypto hype, there were various issues in the market. After the correction, the interest gradually increased again until today. What is different since then is that various topics that have been initiated at that point of time have been, to a large extent, addressed. One being regulatory uncertainties, another thing liquidity infrastructure, but also a security and custody approach. We do believe that now, with the entrance of the first banks into that space, offering now custodial services and not just storage, The market is now ready also for institutional investors.
0: What role do you think custodial services have in this space?
1: We need to distinguish between custody and storage. We at SEBA, we call our solutions custody storage. Storage is basically a technological solution where your client is getting a technical approach he needs to handle on his own. Whereas Custody comes along with various services and is the full suit that we are used to also from the traditional security space. So it is handling of security matters, it's handling of forks, of airdrops, the entire service that you're expecting from custodial.
0: And then for our listeners that are newer to this space or are curious, could you briefly define crypto assets, traditional versus digital tokens?
1: Sure, and this is a, a very good question, Alexander, because it is exactly there where regulation starts making a difference. When we talk about digital assets, this is not just one big pot of digital assets. We need to distinguish between payment tokens, utility tokens, and security tokens. On both, or actually on all three those types of tokens, you have a so-called bondon in the traditional as well as in the digital world. So, most common and most well-known payment tokens, for example here in Switzerland, in the traditional way, that would be simply a Swiss franc, whereas in the digital world it would be a Bitcoin. So it's important that you distinguish these different tokens because it is exactly there where the regulation uh, will take place.
0: So for an investor that is uh, not familiar with crypto assets, how would you define an asset in this space? And how is it different from a traditional asset? Sure,
1: I would suggest we take the example of Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a payment token, and the token is a reflection of uh, value. And value always exists where there is a market, where there is a demand, and there is a supply. We could also look at Bitcoin as a payment means. And what is a payment means or what is a currency? A currency fundamentally has two or actually three attributes. It is basically a means of accounting. It is a store of value and is um, also reflected by fungibility. Uh, Why is there a need for Bitcoin? It is, for a large extent, regarding inflation and the money printing of governments. Because there, the so-called stock-to-flow, is not the same ratio as in Bitcoin. Because in Bitcoin, the uh, so-called minting of Bitcoin is limited. So there is a limited supply. And what happens when there is rising demand with a limited supply? Usually the price goes up. Whereas in fiat currencies... It's usually the other way around because you have more and more supply. The demand is roughly the same. So prices go down. So what you hold in your pocket is worth less and less.
0: So I'm going to switch tax a little bit here. Why is the market ready for institutional investors? And how do you think this might change the space?
1: I do believe the market looks fundamentally different since two, three years ago. One of the biggest issues at that uh, point of time was uncertainty in the regulatory space. These days, we hear basically on a daily basis uh, news about regulators issuing new DLT regulations. Now, this can be favorable or less favorable, but what is most important is that there is certainty about the regulation. Particularly in Switzerland, appreciate approach that FINMA took. FINMA has a technology-neutral approach and this is uh, related to what I said before. It is very important to know what token we're talking about. Is it a currency token, a utility token or a asset token? Because regulation is clearly different. So if you take a technology-neutral approach for a very large extent, you can apply the traditional regulation to those tokens. And this is exactly what FINMA did. Now, bear in mind, this is not just easy sailing, because in that space KYC, AML, and client due diligence is absolutely key. And from the technological possibilities, it is also not always that easy to comply with the existing regulation. Secondly, There is also the question about liquidity and infrastructure. During the last year, there was about 1 billion US dollars invested in infrastructure in the DLT space. This might sound like little and it might not be that much, but with that money, you can already achieve a lot in the market. Also, regarding that infrastructure that is required to provide liquidity and a working market it is interesting to look at exchanges for uh, one or two minutes. Back in April this year, a Bitrise report came out stating that the exchanges are overestimating the liquidity by about 95%. So this is uh, vastly exaggerated volumes. But on the other side, we also need to see that the OTC market is gradually establishing. And that market, in our belief, is rather underestimated. So, altogether, liquidity and infrastructure is already in a very good shape to enter the market. The third issue we have observed in the space is the security topic. Who did not read about different hacks, new breaches, stolen coins, etc.? This is an issue but um, has become much less an issue because there are now institutions like fully regulated, fully fledged banks looking into the security setup, offering actual custody storage and maintaining the security level at the highest technological possibilities.
0: So now that the regulation is a little bit more clear and bear in mind this is still a new space so regulations may change and they may change dramatically market to market how can institutional investors benefit from these new asset classes
1: the space of digital assets particularly in the payment tokens area is a very interesting space because it offers diversification in the overall portfolio in the example of bitcoin you can see how you can shift the efficient frontier. As an example, calculations uh, we did at SEBA. We believe by adding 1% of Bitcoin to your overall portfolio, you can raise return by approximately 1% at the same level of risk of volatility. Having said that, this is increasing your Sharper ratio. This is possible due to the low correlation of Bitcoin towards different assets. Interesting to me as well is that the correlation of Bitcoin and gold is fairly low, even though oftentimes people are comparing Bitcoin with gold.
0: One of the biggest criticisms that I often hear about in this space is that it's so volatile. What is your view on stablecoins and what is Sabo's view on stablecoins in this space?
1: First of all, regarding the volatility of cryptocurrencies, but particularly also about Bitcoin. This is a fairly logical phenomenon, because if we compare the liquidity of those markets, we see that Bitcoin is still dwarfed by the overall financial market. Financial wealth currently stands at about 205 trillion US dollars. Whereas Bitcoin market capitalization is maybe roughly around 150 billion, or if you take all cryptocurrencies together, it's around 230 billion. So, if you have low liquidity, it is uh, fairly natural that you also have a higher volatility. With increased market capitalization and now the entrance of various OTC products and derivatives, this volatility gradually. Will come down. I do believe stable coins are very interesting. Why is that? It is not necessarily from a viewpoint that you can bypass, for example, negative interest rates, which can cause an issue to central banks. That is also one of the main reasons why um, they have certain doubts about stable coins. But It can make the entire system more efficient. It can crowd out certain stakeholders in the entire value chain and make the entire financial system more effective. Now, of course, we need to bear in mind that it can also pose a certain risk to the financial system if national banks can no longer steer the currencies. But this is a a debate that uh, not everyone would agree with. But I can understand that national banks have issues when you're taking out one of their means to guide the economy of a country off their hands. One is usually fiscal policy and the other is taxation. So if one instrument gets lost, that might be an issue for a government or a central bank.
0: One of the criticisms, when people first get into this space, people inevitably say, oh, but what about the power consumption? I'd love to get your thoughts on the energy demand in this space. And we were talking about this earlier, why it's not such a big issue that people uh, seem to make it out to be.
1: So this is actually a very good question. The ones who wish to change that consumption to the lower end usually come up with free different possibilities. The first one, hopefully unrealistic, is a lower Bitcoin price that would lower the energy because the reward is um, lower and then there would be less interest in mining. The second possibility goes into the same direction. We could basically lower the block reward, but as this is a decentralized system, consensus oriented system, I wouldn't see why miners would agree to uh, such an approach. And the third one is that you go for an utterly different approach than proof of work and go into proof of stake or other possibilities. Those technological advances do have their own issues and in my opinion, at this point of time at least, do not really offer a uh, real solution. That's why I would rather make one step back and ask what is the uh, issue with their energy consumption. I think it is important to state that it's not the energy consumption that is the issue, it's rather the energy production that might be an issue. If we know how mining works and that you are flexible in uh, your energy consumption i.e. when peaks of electricity are available for at night when there is less consumption. If you turn that statement around, it is actually interesting that you start investing more into infrastructure that can absorb those peaks. And because the market is very efficient, the mining market, you could not allow for inefficient technologies. In return, that means that Bitcoin basically supports the development of sustainable energy infrastructure.
0: Yeah, that's usually the two things that are mentioned the most. Oh, it's really volatile, and Bitcoin's boiling in the oceans. And I think we've all kind of moved beyond. Uh, those initial concerns and, and really realize that they're not actually concerns. I think as we're starting to see more interest in this space uh, beyond early adoption, I think we're starting to get better responses. One of the other concerns that people bring up as they're getting into this space, because Bitcoin essentially developed in a gray market. For people that have concerns that Bitcoin is only used for illicit purposes, could you describe how, how cash and digital currencies differ?
1: This is a concern I hear oftentimes. I mean, particularly people being less in the know about cryptocurrencies. They uh, say crypto is about scams, it's about volatility, no real value behind it, frauds, hacks, criminal uh, activities, etc. Bear in mind that the cryptocurrency market, 99% is absolute proper business. And admittedly, there is some crime scam involved as well. But this, according to different studies, at least in Bitcoin, is just about 1%. Now, 1% might still sound like a lot to you, but I don't believe that this ratio is in the fiat world much different. I would like to make a comparison between payment tokens and fiat money. When you, Alexandra, have a bill of 50 euros in your pocket, can you prove me that this has never been involved in buying some drugs in whatever illicit business in whatever crime? I don't think so. Firstly, you can't prove it to me and secondly, I don't believe that your bill is 100% clean. In that respect I do believe it is a little bit unfair when the regulator now thinks that all coins need to be completely clean and not tainted at all just because with this technology you now have the possibility to go back to the genesis to the creation of the token. The technology allows you to look at every single step since the creation of that cryptocurrency. And of course there is a very high likelihood that during the years such a coin might have been partially involved in whatever crime. Now this is why it is very important that you apply the same rules as apply in the traditional finance sector particular regarding AML, but also KYC and client due diligence. The AML topic is not an easy one and we have looked into the market, what kind of tools are around, but we were not happy with what we found. That's why we at SEBA, we created our own forensic tool, which stands up to our standards. With this tool, which is a very delicately calibrated system, we can gauge the acceptable level of taintedness of the coins we will accept. This is looking into fraud, ransom, scams, etc. Bear in mind, this is not an easy system because you need to go back in time. You need to look at the valuation in the back. You need to scan the market for the different frauds and scams. And is a very, very sophisticated tool that is also unique in the market.
0: I think that's one thing that people often misunderstand is that you can't prove that the bill that you're holding hasn't been involved in some sort of illicit activity. There's no there's no proof, there's no record essentially of it. Whereas with Bitcoin there actually is. And I mean there's there's things that you can do like coin join and coin washing, but traditionally cash is the most private anonymous way of paying things and Bitcoin actually has quite limited privacy for now. There are some advances on that, but when you've got everything on a ledger...
1: I'm happy you mentioned uh, Tumblrs and CoinJoin and this is certainly um, also an important topic in regards to this taintedness of coins. And of course, we are also looking at those patterns because if a client is uh, moving uh, his coins through uh, tumblers or CoinJoin, just right before he moves the funds at our side. This will certainly raise our barrier to accept those coins. And that's uh, again what I mentioned by a uh, sophisticated calibrated system that is also taking those things into consideration.
0: That's fair. Is that something that would be a barrier? Would you need coins to not go through some kind of CoinJoin or Tumblr in order to be taking part in your system?
1: There is no black and white. It always depends on the situation. Regarding the tumblers, it's the same. You need to see when did it go for a tumbler. Was it just before the client sends it in from his private wallet? Was it a lot of hops before? Was it years ago? It's basically the same as, for example, a client wants to transfer in tainted coins where we see, oh, there's a substantial fiat equivalent amount of tainted coins. That's the point when you need to go back on the chain and see when was that coin acquired. And if you see, um, if that coin was acquired at the price of Bitcoin, probably at 50 US dollars, then you can understand why today the amount is much higher and it looks like a lot of taintedness. But at that point of time, the 50 um, US dollar was probably uh, as part of a 1,000 US dollar transaction. So in that relation, then it would not be such a big percentage.
0: Interesting that you mentioned, you could go back, I imagine if there were certain denominations of fiat that were determined that were involved in illicit crime, I imagine there were, might be a way to trace approximate timing when coins are purchased. So if somebody was trying to wash fiat, so to speak, into Bitcoin, there might be a way to trace that.
1: There are um, uh, very interesting technologies you can find out a lot. and Bear in mind, even though we think Bitcoin is anonymous, it's just pseudo-anonymous. And if you um, add a little bit of forensic, if you add a little bit um, of Sherlock Holmes, you can find out a lot. And if you connect the dots, there is quite a bit of transparency in the net.
0: Two of the other things you had mentioned in our discussion earlier, increasing knowledge and convenience in this space. Could you describe how Seba does that?
1: Lack of knowledge usually comes along with fear or non-acceptance. This is also why we read a lot of negative publicity regarding cryptocurrencies. What we are doing at SEPA to alleviate that problem is offering a not for profit division, SEPAversity, where we try to educate the community and our clients.
0: And on the convenience side, how does SEPA make this more convenient for institutional investors?
1: If you want to enter the industry of digital assets, it's oftentimes a question about security, accessibility, and convenience. We talked about security, accessibility with custody storage offerings available now. And convenience is basically the approach that you give the customer a feeling like in the traditional security space or fiat space. I.e. the handling of your digital assets shouldn't be much different from the handling of your traditional ones or fiat currencies. So you certainly don't want to handle your own private keys, moving funds from one wallet to the other, being afraid of losing your private keys and your assets. It should be just a simple click in good confidence that your assets are safe. We at Seba, we believe that we can offer exactly that.
0: One of the things that I should point out is in Bitcoin, there's the saying, not your keys, not your coins. How can you guarantee, I guess, can you guarantee, and if so, how can you guarantee that Seba with custodial services offers that same level of protection?
1: <laughs> you might uh, wonder why I have a big smile in my face now, because in my WhatsApp profile, I uh, challenge exactly this industry um, proverb, which, as you say, goes um, along... Not your keys, not your coins. I'm writing there, your coins, not your keys. Because I believe this is now the first time that you can trust a fully regulated institution with your keys. Now, how safe are your keys? We at SEBA, we have four different custody storage solutions. The two main distinguishing factors are segregation and the physical element. By segregation, I mean if the assets, your cryptocurrency tokens, are on a segregated cryptographic address or on uh, one that is in the name of SEPA. If you're an active trader, you would like to have immediate execution. To make that possible, we need to have liquidity in the market and you will hold your assets in our name so that we can basically just book the assets from you to us or vice versa. However, you um, trade your instant accessibility to your assets with an exposure towards the bank. Those cryptocurrencies are on our balance sheet and you face bankruptcy risk towards SEPA with that approach. This is the cryptocurrency account approach. When we're going into the segregated approach, that is, the client has his own cryptographic address, we have three different solutions. We have an online solution that uh, we call Custody Storage Hot, which is a very secure approach, which is connected with the Internet. What is not connected to the Internet is Custody Storage Cold. The third solution in the unsegregated space we're offering. Is the so called custody storage deep cold? This is our signature product for institutional investors, which has a security level we believe is on a global scale second to none.
0: And when you say on a global scale is second to none, what sort of proofs can you offer for that? Or is that a proprietary trade secret?
1: I can't tell you um, all the processes, but um, I certainly can allude to the basic um, steps. So we do have cryptographic material and uh, machines in a retired Swiss military bunker, one of the globally two-only bunkers with that security level that are available for civil purposes. In that bunker, we do write the cryptographic keys on plates which we encrypt, which we shard, and those are then spread globally in locations even we at Zeba don't know where they are being stored. And this is all in a radio frequency shielded, magnetic shielded room with biometrical access barriers which are monitored from our headquarters.
0: Okay, so it sounds like we have some pretty next level security there. Finally, closing out. do you have any questions for our audience?
1: From our perspective, as I try to outline, we believe the crypto market is ready for institutional investors. We also see a fair bit of institutional investors entering the market. My question will be, What else is left to be taken care of? What other concerns are left of institutional clients we could take care of and accommodate to make the experience in the digital realm even more nice?
0: So if people were looking to connect with you, how can they reach you? What are the best channels?
1: Just hit me a line, phil.detweiler at seba.swiss. Email would probably be my uh, best means of contact. You can also reach me on Twitter or on uh, LinkedIn.
0: Excellent. And we'll put those handles in the the show notes for our listeners. Sure. All right. Phil, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate this opportunity to come to Xerox and speak with you in person. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for being on the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me. All the best, Alexandra. Thank you.